Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, chapter by chapter, out loud. And we're looking here. This is really cool. This is where this all starts here in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 7, the plagues. And we got the first plague. What a cool word, plague. Um, but yeah, actually, you know, we should be talking about this. I mean, is plague actually even the right word? Um, is this is that how we're supposed to be understanding these things? Um, is it primarily about judgment? Is it primarily about something else? Uh, and what is the significance anyway of this first plague of the Nile River being turned into blood? Uh, very interesting description of it. Uh, a lot of a lot of things going on here, and uh, I, I think there's. Um, just like so many things we've seen, actually, a lot of connections to Genesis, actually. But uh, but we will we will get there in just a moment. Uh, but yeah, but at first let's uh, let's hear from our guest today. We've got joining us uh, one of our regulars. We've got Pastor John Shank, pastor from Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. Good morning, brother. Good to have you with us again. How are you guys doing in Edwardsville? We're doing well. We're doing well. Uh, about to. Uh Next next weekend, we'll moving forward to reopen sanctuary. We've been having to do all different kinds of stuff, and a lot of those things will continue with online services. We had to do drive-in style church services, and thanks be to God, we're we're now moving forward to being able to have a percentage of uh, occupancy and and do all that kind good, of thing. Good. So we can actually be together uh, in the sanctuary. So that will be. Something that we're all all looking forward to, and it kind of just uh, it's been so long. So it'll be yeah. Great. Well, you know, absolutely. I know that um, you know when we uh, resumed doing things in person again, it was a little over two months that we had. Uh, yeah, since since the last time, and it was it, it was just uh, it was overdue. It was it was overdue, and it was a really huge blessing to finally be together again. Um, it's just uh, something that that I think I won't be taking for granted for a little while. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, <laughs> you know, we talk about this chapter exposing judgment, definitely does, but um, and it also exposes in that judgment hardness of heart. So I think there is definitely a lot of that when it comes to our ability to be in worship and to receive God's gifts, our hearts were probably a little a little hardened, and I, I pray that this um, this hasn't hardened our hearts further, uh, but exposed it so that we can repent and uh, receive a new heart in repentance to desire actually to be in God's in God's uh, word and and to receive His gifts. Amen. And I think that, you know, the word plague, that's been something that, you know, people have used and thought about lately uh, in connection to everything with COVID-19, you know, is, is it a plague of judgment and how does that function? And, you know, people have had, uh, you know, some serious disagreements on, you know, what is what does that exactly mean um, in terms of what, what God is up to? But I, I think it's safe to say that no matter what, what label you use, God takes these hard times and these difficult things, and he turns them into uh, discipline. He turns them into repentance. And so that, that's that's always the good that God can turn out of the, the evil. 
So, I mean, I, I absolutely agree. You know, maybe that be the blessing then that it gets worked out of it. But let's uh, let's go ahead then and, and turn to the text. Um, consider, you know, what kind of plague is going on in this situation? You know, what kind of judgment are we talking about? You know, you mentioned hardness of heart. Uh, we'll we'll want to start looking at that theme a little bit more closely now in chapter seven. But yeah, as we as we start looking at this here, would you open us up, brother, with a word of prayer? Yes, let's let us, let us pray. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, um, we ask you, O Lord, to um, remove from us any hardness of heart when it comes to your word. But here in this word you have taught us, you have revealed to us a a lesson of judgment, uh, a lesson in which uh, in the midst of uh, your action to deliver God's people, your people, Uh, The nations who stand in rebellion against you are also judged. Help us in the midst of seeing this not to fall in line with the world and harden our hearts against your word, but seeing in your word deliverance and peace, restoration and union with you, help us instead to repent of our many sins and to turn to Christ who is forgiveness, life, and salvation for us. Be with us today and always and grant us grace sufficient for this day and the callings for which you have given to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. Well, let's go ahead then. And uh, here we are, Exodus chapter 7. Uh, yeah, so in the introduction, you know, I was mentioning a few things. Um, but what what do you think stands out to you as maybe some of the, the key ideas or words or themes that tie this together as a unit before we read it here. Yeah, I, you know, I think I think understanding the, the two-sided coin of God's action, I think where you brought that up about uh, judgment, is this, should this be seen primarily as judgment or maybe more um, a proper understanding of deliverance? of restoration, of of calling Uh out even to the people of Egypt to reveal that he is the one true God. I mean, there is, Mm -hmm. there is uh, a great blessing even, even in that. Uh, And then um, the reality of the hardening of hearts and um, you know, there's, so there's, there's a lot to be dealt with in this, in this chapter. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I think that that's what we'll kind of want to just kind of have an open mind about and and say, you know, let's uh, let's not assume that we we know the the whole story already. And it's like, okay, well, you you know, let's just go ahead and get on to the to the cooler plagues. You know, this is this is nothing. Well, let's let's pay let's pay attention here because I do think this first one helps set it up. So Mm -hmm. uh, here we go, Exodus chapter seven from the top. And the Lord said to Moses. See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his hand, go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord 
when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now, Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, Prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him, and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed, thus says the Lord. By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die. And the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals, and their ponds, and all their pools of water, so that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank, so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart was heart, remained hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. Seven full days passed after the Nile, after the Lord had struck the Nile. All right. So, you know, there's, it's interesting because when you go and you read this, it really is amazing just how many of these details um, just, just even just now, I was just like, yeah, you know what? Had that, did I know that? Did I have that straight before? Um, just little things like I guess in like in my head, I was always picturing Moses as the one doing these things. But I, I suppose actually in every instance here, it's Moses telling his brother to do it. And I mean, it's, it's so it's Aaron who consistently um, does anything like with the staff. Small, just like small example, right? Um, right. But even the thing here at, at the end about, you know, like there's seven full days after the Lord strikes the Nile and you're like, hmm, seven days, <laughs> mm, water, water, you know, I mean, and, yeah. and so, uh, you know, there, there's just like lots of these little details. And so, you know, yeah, there's there's kind of like this kind of big theme of, of judgment. And uh, I, I think there's the, the bigger theme, actually, that we've been talking about that we've seen in the first six chapters of Exodus. Um, but you, there's all these little details too that you don't want to skip over. What, what's jumping out at you? Well, to start from the beginning of seven, 
the the reality of Moses being God uh, to Pharaoh and uh, Aaron, his brother. I mean, if you know, so much of of uh, what we have later on in Deuteronomy 18, then leading into um, you know the 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 promises of the Christ, and then this even being worked out in how God is just describing the outward appearance of what's going on points us to Jesus right in the beginning here, right? That that Moses is definitely a, a type of Christ, which means he's not Christ, he's not a savior, but he's a he's he definitely reflects and and shows uh in a precursor way what is to come and what will then be fulfilled when Christ does come. And and so uh, he's standing here uh, speaking through his prophet, just like Jesus comes and speaks through the disciples this week. And if you're three-year lectionary, he calls his disciples. So there's just so much, uh, you know, just amazing things just right in that first little bit where we start seeing, oh, <laughs> yes, we definitely see what God is doing here, particularly there for all um in the person of his son. Um, so just right. just at the beginning, it's uh, quite amazing. Yeah, you know, that, that's, um, there are a lot of connections right away to the, to the New Testament, too. Yeah, certainly there's, there's a lot that, you know, connects back to, to Genesis. But, yeah, you know, I was, I was thinking, too, um, I mean, we, we ended up talking about this actually a fair bit when we were looking at Revelation, that I mean, in Revelation especially, all the, the symbolic language that describes all this judgment that's getting poured out, it seems to be very much like plague-like. Like, it, you know, um, specifically, Jerusalem is called Egypt um, at a certain point. You know, Jerusalem in terms of its apostasy. And then there's all these plagues that seem to happen. You have frogs mentioned um, there in Revelation. You also have, like, the river being full of blood. Um, you know, there's there's lots of these different things, and it seems like very, uh, yeah, very much like Exodus. And so th- this does seem to anticipate, right, not just uh, looking looking back on everything that was in Genesis and creation, that's very significant, but setting us up for later that, you know, there's going to be a, a larger judgment. And that judgment theme is, you know, not something that we should be scared of. I mean, that judgment theme is, is really what opens up and paves the way for I mean, the Lord Jesus in a lot of ways. And that was actually something I, I thought about recently. You know, it was just this uh, past Sunday that we had Trinity Sunday. And, you, you know, everyone's maybe a little bit apprehensive about the Athanasian Creed, right? You know, this is the Catholic faith. Uh, you know, he who does not hold it firmly, uh, you know, shall without doubt perish eternally, you know. And it's uh, it's like, whoa, gosh, you know, that's just. But but the thing is, like I think actually by starting and concluding the creed on on the theme of judgment, that's it, it seems weird to us. But I, I think that's actually a way of actually ending it christologically and beginning it christologically. Because when you consistently look at the way that this that the New Testament talks about judgment, it talks about the Lord Jesus being made Christ and King and Judge. And so it's you know it's like he's Alpha and Omega there in that creed. It's the whole theme of judgment. Um, is not just you know, uh, you know punishment and you know he's he's mean, but by by punishing enemies he's rescuing his people. I mean that's what his name means, you know that vindicating salvation, that that triumph, that that victory, that rescue that he brings us. 
Yeah, without the one, you can't you can't have the other, and without recognizing our need for deliverance, the the whole understanding of you know sin and judgment, it all it don't, none of it makes sense. It doesn't it doesn't make sense to the world. And you start seeing it if you if you spend any time listening to people that aren't actually Christians or the atheistic uh, complaint about Christianity and hearing the Buddhists say, I, I, the only one who can save me is me. I mean, there is definitely an attack, a, a constant attack against Jesus. There's a constant attack against the, the thought, the thought that we need a deliverer, a savior, just rubs salt right into, into the wound of the fall uh, for the yeah. old Adam. The old Adam thinks, no, I got this. I can save myself. And it's literally posted all over the place you know, I, I'm not encouraging people to search after what Buddhists believe because it's just, it is just an it ends in destruction. But our people right. start searching after that when they participate in things they thought were originally pretty, um, pretty benign, and then they start right. seeing it's been it's been infected by the thought that judgment, uh, that the idea of judgment is so foreign to the old Adam because he has no need to be judged. And, and without that, without that knowledge that we we are judged, not just we will be, but we are judged, and our judgment is that we have all fallen, and we we all are short of his glory, and there is not one of us that is is holy or perfect or even seeks after him. Then we start understanding, okay, then what can we do, right? Lord, who can be saved? And that's when we start, oh, Jesus, right? Jesus has come, and Jesus has spoken. So maybe we should listen to the prophets who continue to speak forth that word, which is, I mean, I guess it definitely makes it a a better understanding of what a prophet is. I mean, I think maybe wrongly, sadly, in our day, we think that, prophets just speak this uh, mystical word that they have kind of conjured up themselves, a secret word, but, you know, it's a word that's been handed down to them, uh, a word that did not originate in them, but in in many respects, the understanding of an apostle is an understanding of a prophet, one who speaks for another. And so he is speaking for Moses, but Moses, I mean, the word didn't originate with him either. He, He is getting it from uh, from the triune God, who is who is calling out to His people, total. You know, it's a it, there's a, a uh, an all inclusiveness, and maybe Pharaoh would, might, you know, complain a bit about what he's going through. <laughs> might complain, yeah. Put it, putting it putting it lightly. Well, actually, and, you know, and you know, speaking speaking of you know Pharaoh, like like how he would feel about this. Yeah, that is the interesting phrase that you have there in verse three, right? Uh, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And this is the one where I think that a lot of people can be tripped up by because you read that and you're like, hang on a second. This doesn't seem right. Um, you know, like, you know, Pharaoh, you know, he, you know, maybe he was a reasonable guy. And um, no, I mean, because certainly we, we've seen that, like the things, the things that he was doing so far, we, we were looking at that in the last couple of chapters. He wasn't honestly doing anything out of the ordinary for the ancient world. It was, it was very much status quo, business as usual. The, the things that you would do to try to, you know, prevent a political uprising with different ethnic, ethnic groups, and I, I mean, it was just 
normal. It's not like the guy's like insane or deranged or particularly malevolent. I mean, I suppose any more, no, no more malevolent than these sorts of, uh, you know, administrations already kind of inherently are. But so like we, we go and we say then, you know, like this hardening of the heart, like what's up with this? This doesn't seem right, you know. Uh, but but what's the purpose, as, as we've been getting at, right? Like, is, is right. it just this kind of judgment and this kind of stereotype to like, oh, well, I don't like you and you didn't worship me, so you know, I'm going to throw you in this fire here? Like, well, you know, no, it's it's judgment in a in a different 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 framework. We got to take a here a break, but hang on, everybody. We're looking at Exodus chapter seven here on Nice Strong Word. We'll be right back. This is Dr. Dale Meyer. Have you heard Concordia Seminary's program, Word and Work and Intersection? Every week you can hear it on KFUO Thursdays at 2 p.m. Central Time. We visit with many interesting guests about how the Word of God applies to their daily vocations and ministries. Be sure to tune in and may the intersection of Word and Work be busy on your corner. The Army National Guard plays a vital role in your community. We're on the front lines supporting essential personnel, first responders, law enforcement, and medical professionals, delivering food, supplies, and medicine, keeping communities safe, making a difference. During emergencies, we're always ready, always there. Learn more about part-time service in the Army National Guard at nationalguard.com. Sponsored by the Missouri Army National Guard, aired by the Missouri Broadcasters Association at this station. When I look at the x-ray of your funny bone, it seems that everything is a-okay. Medical research has proven laughter helps you both emotionally and physically. Wrestling with the basics on Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. are on demand. We've been putting the fun in the fundamentals for over 30 years. Over 30 years? Ooh, don't put too much strain on your funny bone. Nine out of ten doctors agree. It's less painful than getting a flu shot. Go yuck. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Exodus chapter 7 here. Got some questions sent in over the break uh, via email. I do want to invite everyone who is listening live. If you've got any questions for com- or comments for us or for our guest today, Pastor John Schenk, pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois, where they're gearing up to finally be able to... Uh, be meeting together as the body of Christ in the sanctuary again, which is a, it's a wonderful, beautiful thing. A lot of uh, churches I know looking forward to, to doing that, or just recently having done that, Pentecost and Holy Trinity. Uh, yeah, but if you've got any questions for us, you can give us a call, 1-800-730-2727, or if you're in St. Louis, 314 or you can always send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. Also, I was having some internet trouble earlier. Uh, that's why I was not able to uh, be, I'll have my decent, my halfway decent connection. 
Um, I sounded like you know an old tape recorder. I know. I'm sorry. Uh, but now we have the the Facebook live stream going again, and we're on the internet again. So hooray! Thank God for the internet. So you can also check that out: facebook.com/ajespinosa. So. Uh, yeah, we were just talking about now moving on to this verse three, you know, this hardening of the heart there uh, yeah. and what and what that and what that kind of uh, means, because especially I think what what's what, what's disturbing is the, the interpretation that, you know, God is judging people. Right. Uh, but they can't help it because uh, he's hardening their hearts. Yeah, and this is actually like. It sounds like God yeah. stacked the deck, right? Like, yeah, it's kind of like here, a kind of here, double here jeopardy sort of thing. Yeah, You're in trouble, but I'm the one who did it to you. So is that really yeah, what we have? But I would, I would right. kind of point people forward to a flow. And the, unfortunately, um, the Hebrew understanding is not, not um, always coming through greatly at the beginning portion. So I just pointed to a couple verses that will come yeah. up and that makes it even clear in the English. So in the English, okay. it will be clear in chapter 8, verse uh, 13, where it says, uh, when Pharaoh saw that he was, uh, that there was a respite, and that's with uh, one of the plagues coming, uh, he hardened his heart. And then again, chapter 8, verse 32, uh, and Pharaoh hardened his heart, uh, this time also, and um, and did not let the people go. And then again, in, right before chapter chapter ten, uh, so chapter nine, verse thirty-four, um, he that is Pharaoh sinned against uh, sin again, uh, and hardened his heart. Um, and this one he says he and his servants. Uh, so they hardened their hearts as well. And then you have a transition yeah. when you go into the latter parts of the plagues, uh, chapter 10, uh, starting at 20, where there's a new way of speaking about it, uh, 10, 10, 20, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. So I would uh, yeah. point to the beginning, going back to chapter 4, where God knew what was in Pharaoh's heart and that his heart right. was hard. Uh, and then uh, acted, and you see what happens when, when God acts and speaks. When uh, the heart is hardened against that word, it will continue to be hardened and hardened and hardened. And and then God later on, there's a transition, and then you have the the three again, but on the other side where God then turns and hardens Pharaoh's heart. So it's like right. he is he is pre-telling what he is going to do because of the foreknowledge of what Pharaoh is about to do in response to his outreach. Um, and he's, he lays it out here at the beginning part of Chapter 7. That, well, well um, hang on really, really quick. Let me, let me make sure that we're just we're tracking here, because this, um, this is actually one of the questions that we got in over the Internet. Particularly, it was, yeah. um, is it proper judgment of God that the whole of Egypt suffer for the hardened heart of one man and his civil government? Um, and, and so, yeah, so it's kind of putting a couple things together. Um, yeah. I think that your, your, the way you broke down the answer here is very helpful. I mean, part of it, it's not like it was just Pharaoh, as, as you said. In yeah. chapter 9, we actually get—where um, was it there? Yeah, it was in chapter 9, verse 34, looking ahead, you, you read, it was, He sinned yet again his, uh, and hardened his heart 
he and his servants, right? So, I mean, that, that is very interesting that well, there, I mean, it's interesting that the hardening of the heart is called sin there, um, but then also um, it's he and his servants, right? So it's not like it's just this man. And I, and I think that um, by that same token, I, I think we should understand that he is representative, and this is, this is how it is throughout um, the scriptures that these kings represent their whole peoples, and, and we don't and we don't think about it this way because we we live in an age of not my president and on all this right. But but the thing is, like what we don't appreciate is that these societies were not individualistic cultures. We have an individualistic culture where you can have subcultures, and there's like we, we almost like foster uh, you know disagreement and plurality, right? Uh, but that's not at all the way the ancient world worked at all. They were all on the same page. And I think that they all would have been on the same page that, oh, no, um, you know, Hebrews are not as good as Egyptians. And those weird Hebrew gods are ridiculous. We're not listening to them. We're, we're sticking with our good Egyptian gods that, you know, we, we feel good about and we worship. And, you know, like kind of in the same way almost that, like, you know, people— yeah, you know, we can all like feel maybe like patriotic or excited about something. So uh, they would have all been on the same page. And uh, so p- putting that together with what you just said, this idea that, you know, when God is hardening the heart, it's it says some places, um, it's really kind of Pharaoh hardening his own heart. I just want to kind of uh, kind of put that in a different way. Just sure. for our listeners if here. I, yeah, if I could talk about that question a little bit, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, think, yeah. Think about well, that. We'll just, we'll just, we'll just like just the meaning though, right? Just to your to your point, and then and I want you to, if you could, go ahead and elaborate on it a little bit more. But yeah. like we we say sometimes even in English, like you know that made me feel sad, or like you know you're making me feel guilty, or something like that, right? And we'll use like a positive <laughs> expression like that. But what we don't mean, right, is that the person has like zapped us with like a hypnosis ray, and they like put like sad feelings into us or guilty feelings or something like that. Right. Uh, you know, we, we, we just mean that, you know, they've done something that naturally because of our own disp- disposition experiences, whatever, right. Um, has like, that's happening for us. And so I, I think in the same way, we shouldn't be reading this as, you know, God is like zapping Pharaoh with like hardness of heart rays, you know, and it's like, he's like forcing him to do this, but just, He's, he's confronting Pharaoh with things, and he knows how Pharaoh's going to react. And, and Pharaoh reacts this way willingly. You know, he, he, he is confronted this way, and Pharaoh, as most um, leaders of empires, has an ego. And he doesn't like any challenge to his authority. He doesn't like, you know, Moses is being set um, as God to Pharaoh. I mean, that's why it opens up, right? And Pharaoh's like, uh, what? You're going to be set as God to me? I am a god. You aren't. I mean, that was actually very interesting in that movie rendition they did with um, Christian Bale. You know, they called it what Exodus Gods and Kings, right? I mean, but that, that's very much like what's going on, right? Um, you know, like I am a god. Like, who are you? And and that that idea, I think God God knew. I think Moses could have said um, that's how he was going to react very naturally. So I don't think you need to suppose hypnosis or like this is God like holding the whole nation in, um, hostage. But yeah, yeah. I mean, like your your thoughts. Um, uh, wrap wrap up that that line for us. Sure, I, you know, once it comes to later on, though, I would, I would uh, avoid trying to, trying to. I don't want to say you're doing, it, but any of us trying to explain away or to justify or 
to ease the blow of God's action here, because it does say he hardened Pharaoh's heart. So how do we understand that when there is that transition? We can say at the beginning, this is, like we can't excuse Pharaoh because he's doing this to himself. So then how do we understand the transition? And I would understand it this way, that he knew because of foreknowledge. I mean, we can, you can say, well, Moses probably would have known too. Everybody would have known that he's not just going to give up. I mean, I think that reflects in the fear of Moses to go in the first place. Um, but, uh, but God yeah. knows even more everything that's going to happen, even the end result, which is deliverance for his people. And there are some Egyptians that come too. Um, but uh, there is deliverance uh, that he's going to work even through uh, the hardness of Pharaoh's heart that's going to rebel. And by this action, he's going to reveal himself to the nations, the plural nations of the world. We'll see this as you go further into the Old Testament. But then how do we understand the reality that God is, there is a time of his act of work. I mean, there's a time in which he says, I hardened Pharaoh's heart. And I don't think we need to step away from it, but understand that Pharaoh hardened his heart up to a point, and then what does that mean? It means, do one, don't ever do that. Don't when there is a time of repentance, don't walk away from it. The time of grace is today, dear brothers and sisters. Don't walk away from that grace saying, I'm good. You're not. You need Christ, and you need his grace. So that if we walk away from his grace, we are moving further away from the Lord. Pharaoh's, under, Pharaoh's example to us is there can be a time in which God removes himself too. If God removes himself, that is a hardening of his heart. And God is removing that opportunity for repentance in Pharaoh because he's already, he's already claimed that he needs none. Uh, yeah. And how scary that, that reality is for, yeah. for, um, for, for this situation, but it does speak of an eternal judgment in which the time of repentance is now— do not mm-hmm. neglect that call to receive God's grace, because there is, an, there is a time where that, that door is shut. It shuts, right. obviously, when someone is, has died, it shuts well, when someone, sure. uh, on the last day. It does, but then there is certain scriptures that point to the reality of, well, of, of yeah. even shutting uh, within a person's life, because they've made right. a final judgment against the Holy Spirit. So, um, well. Being yeah, cavalier yeah, no. towards God's call to recognize Him. I think. In this yeah, I, th- I think. I think you're making a good point, and, and it's really you're kind of getting to like the deeper level of all of this, which I think is ultimately you know where like Luther goes, right? Uh, when he, when you know, in the book, you know, on on the the bound will, right, or on the bondage of the will, that you know when you when you look at things on a really deep level, it's like. Well, you know, do you really even actually have free will? Right. Um, and, and, and Luther's, you know, ultimate answer is uh, no, <laughs> right? Which I know is like kind of scandalous, but um, to our sensibilities of, you know, you know, independence and individualism and everything else. But uh, yeah, but no. So I think I think on that deep level, you're you're absolutely correct. You know, and when we we really put 
we, we, we often put too much control and agency on, on ourselves, just as Moses was doing right in the previous chapter where he's like, it's all up to, you know, it's, it's all about his lips, if they're circumcised or not, if, if he has lips that are, you know, eloquent or if he's unskilled, right? That It's all up to him. It's all in his control. Well, no, Moses, it's not actually all up to you. So I mean, I think, I think you're making a good point. Um, I, I think that we want to, though, make sure that we're, uh, we, well, we need to pick up the pace for one, but, um, and we got another question coming in, but. Uh, but yeah, but I mean, you're looking at the the flow of the narrative here, and I think while the point that we're making here on the deep level about you know the freedom of the will, and you know, in fact, you know, Pharaoh is not a god, and he in fact is kind of out of control. Um, the 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 point of the narrative is that he's hardening Pharaoh's heart. He's he's giving him these stubborn reactions because he's multiplying the signs and the wonders, and he's got to get Pharaoh to the point where Pharaoh's like, I am so sick of you. Don't just go for a three-day uh, worship retreat. Just leave the country now forever. Go away, right? I mean, like, and I think that's the thing in the narrative that we miss. And, and, and we can, you know, yeah. And is there some kind of like, you know, anthropomorphism sometimes in these narratives? Sure. But you don't want to miss kind of the logic of the story. Uh, we're starting off with, remember, hey, can we go into the wilderness, celebrate and do some sacrifices to Yahweh, and then we'll come back. That's the starting point. And so we've got to, we actually have to have confrontation after confrontation after confrontation, because that's what we said at the beginning of chapter six, right? He said, you know, he <laughs> will drive the people of Israel out of his land. So God is going to deliberately antagonize Pharaoh so that he's sick of the Israelites and he just exiles them all, uh, which, which is their salvation. So, I mean, we, we can't miss this, that this judgment is for the sake of salvation, like we were talking right. about before the break when it comes to, um, you know, the Lord Jesus and, you know, how he's a judge in the sense of, you know, rescuing us, like a judge like I think like that, that answers the question that the person asked, though, too, which is— in some ways, you know, why are why are all the people suffering because of the sins of, of Pharaoh? Which is like ignoring the reality that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That they, you know, maybe, you know, it talks about the the servants, but they're all participating in a in a whole system of worship of the Pharaoh and have ignored the reality of the one true God. And God is revealing Himself to them, and in that. In that revelation of I'm God and you're not, that is antagonistic. He, right. His whole nature is going to rebel against the truth uh, because it tells him that he is a lie. No, that, that, that's right. That's right. And, and I think that that's, that's important to see this. It's not as if, you know, the Egyptians were innocent and God's punishing <laughs> them for being stubborn. No, because that no, wouldn't. I mean, that wouldn't revealing himself yeah, to them, that's, and in that, <laughs> that that's in right. that, they they have that call yeah. to see the truth or to reject it. And unfortunately, yeah. in their sin, they continue to reject it. We can't say each and every one. Uh, thanks yeah. be to God, there are some that that see and repent um, in the call that the the nations are leaving well, with, with. That's them. right, and, and that's and that's really the the big theme. I think actually bigger than the judgment theme. I was, I was kind of hinting at the theme that we've seen in Exodus uh, one through six. Right, I mean we have it right there. It was uh, that key word again. I mean the two words right are know and see. And in verse five, the Egyptians shall know. There, there it is. Let me scroll down to, to verse 5 there on the stream here. Yeah, there is in verse 5. So, so key, highlight this. So, um, the Egyptians shall know 
that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. I mean, it's, it's so key. They Because, you know, they're, they're used to seeing wonders, right? They see signs like, hey, look, the magicians, they're doing stuff by their gods, right? Um, you know, with the, with the serpents, and they even turn like water into blood, and they do this stuff, right? But what does it say? So the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Um, God is doing something very particular that they're not going to be able to say like, oh no, that that wasn't that wasn't a Canaanite deity. That was uh, that was this god over here. Oh, it's no, this was this god of the Egyptian pantheon. He's going to take them through these plagues, and he's it's like process of elimination, and they're all going to be like, I guess this isn't one of our gods. It really yeah. must be the god of the Hebrews, and, and and that's and that's so key. So I mean, there, there's the two things, right? We have to confront him again and again, so that we actually get to the point of he just sends them all out of this country. But we also have to do things again and again to show in different ways this is not an Egyptian deity, or else they weren't going to see that. They weren't going right. to see the uniqueness of Yahweh. And so, as you were saying, by them seeing that this is the one true God, that is actually going to bring salvation. Um, to Egypt, and maybe not necessarily like all of Egypt repents on this day, but we know that in the future, um, increasing increasing numbers will repent. I mean, we're going to have a huge Christian tradition in Egypt, um, in the Coptic Church, um, you know, in the tradition of Saint Augustine. Like those are all going to be things that like are made possible by what happens now at this time in Egypt. And I mean, so in a lot of so many ways, right? This is this is actually judgment for the sake of salvation. This is judgment. Um, because they're they're sinners as much as everybody else. So the, the question that we just got over the over there on Facebook here, um, by striking the water, which was seen as a source of life for the Egyptians, was the Lord God striking one of their gods? And, and I think actually, uh, yeah, certainly, I, I think that particularly the Nile was actually seen as a god. Um, all by itself, that when you look at the creation mythology of the ancient Near East, the waters um, were seen in many ways as as gods and, and goddesses. I mean, the sky was a god, the sun was a god, uh, the ocean was one, and, and the Nile River would have been one. And so uh, by turning it to blood, I, I think very much the image is, I just, you know, killed this god, which is again it's pointing in the direction of okay this wasn't one of ours who did this this was some other god yeah and it, by seeing it uh, venerating the nile it was a source of of life and so when it switches over to blood i mean anyone who thinks that this is just a natural occurrence of the flow of uh red clay material and it happens all the time well it definitely clearly says in verse 18 that this is not natural because the fish in the nile they die and the nile stank and so the water was no good for for drinking so that which they had hoped and put all their trust in that which for them they thought was the sole source of life for them <laughs> became death and right. and that is an amazing judgment that God continues to do. And, and same thing with all the plagues. Um, it, there has been a lot of work and commentary done how each one of the plagues judges um, the false worship and the false deities of the Egyptians. Well, yeah, no, no, that, that's that's those are um, yeah some good thoughts there. Yeah, certainly, I think the the idea is that they look at it and they they see okay, blood, Egyptian god. We, we we get the message, right? This is this is sort mm -hmm. of like uh, I'm thinking of a well-known movie. 
um, where, you know, the guy wakes up with a decapitated animal uh, head in his bed, right? And it's like, you get the message, right? There's a, there's a signal that you're supposed to understand. And so similarly, yeah, you got a signal here. Um, you know, I, I totally sympathize what you're saying about, you know, this is, uh, you know, supernatural. I think that certainly we're supposed to see this as something that God has done. I personally do not see a strong reason to say that, like, like this is, like, blood as in like i mean i don't know if we like took it out and measured a sample of it we'd say like oh this is this is human blood or you know this is uh, frog blood or i mean like i don't know like like we found hemoglobin um i, I mean cause I, and the reason i say that I mean, there's a few reasons but one of them is that hebrew doesn't have a word for blood red right like there is no word that means like blood color um it just says blood um, so and that, that's part of it, but I, I, I think that in the end, right, the, the point is, as you were saying, um, it's, it's, uh, conveying the message of dead, dead Egyptian God. Um, and to further that message, whatever did happen, it, it didn't just kind of gain a reddish, uh, an innocuous reddish hue, <laughs> um, whatever happened, it was bad, um, and deadly enough for the fish to die. And I think that's pretty striking, striking um plague actually by the way this is a good moment for a little bit of etymological tri uh tri what's the word i'm trying to trivia um it means strike something you've been struck with you know plagueis um from the latin um or um i think this is well i'm not gonna okay not gonna get off on that tangent but um so th this is this idea of you know they've, they've been struck here and this this guy has in fact been struck down um it's interesting that you have the fish dying, though, because I think that that kind of makes this connection then to the days of creation, because, you know, what what did you see in the creation account? Well, you had, uh, you know, you had you had the water going on in the first three days, right? Lots of stuff was happening with the waters, um, separation of the waters. Um, you know, you had the uh, waters above from the waters below the waters separated from the land. Right. Um, and then like the first thing that gets created, the first living being is fish. Um, and, and that's the thing that gets killed here. So, I mean, this is really interesting that it's like, you know, the first living thing is the first thing to die, um, which, I mean, this this just is very ominous like that. Like, hey, I'm, I'm going to show you not only, right, is this the God of the Hebrews, and it's not one of your Egyptian gods, but I'm showing you this is actually the one true God who created the whole world, because that is a very different idea as well for the Egyptians. Yeah, not... Uh, again, I'm just going to uh, to the hold uh, for the fact that it is some. I don't know what what uh, what type of blood. I, I, sure, that's sure, not sure. going to uh, turn me at all. What uh, which type? But the reality of blood yeah. is something that people and the Egyptians and the Israelites would not have been confused to the point in which the vessels themselves that had drawn the water there was change within them, wood and stone. So yeah. uh, even outside of the river, the ones that had been drawn out from the river, um, those th those were changes. So again, th there's, there's not going to be any convincing, I'm not saying you're trying to, but the world definitely tries to convince us that these plagues somehow had a natural course. Um, in fact, they, they're, they're, there is god's action outside the normal natural order to bring about a reality that he is god to reveal himself right. as lord so that even you think you can you know 
well, I've got water over here. Oh, no, you don't, because even that has been changed and is not essential, that's not able to be drank from, so that they had to dig out. Well, no, that's right. And I'm glad that you mentioned that. And and the digging, I think, is very telling. Um, This was something that I didn't know for a while but one of the other interpretations of this, because, um, you know, the, the word there actually it doesn't actually say vessels of wood and uh, vessels of stone. It just says, um, well, it just actually it literally says trees and rocks. <laughs> um, like it, it says like, you know, eights, you know, as in like uh, the, the word that's actually used for like, you know, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So, I mean, there, there's a way of taking this as like basically it's a kind of what's called a merism which is to say, basically, it was everywhere. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's on the trees, it's on the rocks, it's just covering everything, this stuff. And so that's why you had to dig, because it's like all of Egypt has been blanketed in this stuff. Um, and so you gotta, you got to go find stuff underground that hasn't been tainted with this, um, which is really interesting again, right? Because, of course, you know, this is just more signs of, hey, this is like day three stuff, the, the creator who created the trees, who created the rocks, right? Um, getting to that idea. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so then in, in the end, right, this, this whole idea and connecting to the seven days, I mean, just the creation theme is starting to really jump out at us that this is, this is judgment, but it's his revelation, which is gracious to reveal himself as the creator to these people who had not known the creator. You know, this is actually, you know, hey, he's kind of giving them the Torah a little bit here, um, in a, of course, in a scary, scary way. Uh, but, you know, th- this is an opportunity for repentance and salvation. So, I mean, looking, looking at the thing as a whole, right, I mean, that seems to be um, a big theme that uh, walking away within this. And, and that's like, I think the same thing you see in the ministry of the Lord Jesus. He has the mastery of the wind and the waves, for example, right? Because he yeah. is the creator God. Yeah. Deliverance is definitely the theme of Exodus. I mean, it is called Exodus. There is going to be a means by which he delivers and causes an Exodus. So trust in him. Amen. Amen. Well, brother, thank you so much for coming on. And yeah, you know, God bless your preparations for this weekend. I'm sure you got a lot on your mind, a lot on your plate, but God bless you guys. May it all go well. Um, and you bless the, the rest of uh, this, this season after Pentecost. Amen. Thank you. Everybody, that was Pastor John Shank, pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois, going on to Exodus 8 next time. Till then, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.